every entrepreneur has a story. Welcome to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur, where each episode, your host, Brian Carney, will share a drink with a successful business owner and have them discuss their unique journey, gaining insight on what it takes to be an entrepreneur and different ways to get there. Brian isn't just a beer nerd. He's also the co-founder of River's Edge Advisors, a financial planning firm headquartered in Delaware, specializing in working with business owners. It's time to pour yourself a drink and enjoy a happy half hour with an entrepreneur. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Brian Carney. For the first time, we actually have a repeat guest on the show today. We are going back to episode three from February of 2021 and bringing back John Boykin, the owner of BHI Insurance. Um, John, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Brian. Good to be back. Well, for this, we got a lot to talk about. Um, A lot has changed in your world, so we definitely need to to share a drink over this. So for this episode, I'm going to be drinking an other half. The, The brewery's called Other Half, and it's a Double Mosaic Daydream is the name of the beer. It's an Imperial Oat Cream IPA. So I'll give it a review at the end. And uh, you have your old reliable. So what are you going to be? What are you going to be drinking? Uh, today I have my Class Azul Reposado on the rocks. Perfect. Perfect for the for the uh, warm weather, which is great. Well, let's let's start out as a quick refresher for those of the people who haven't listened to episode three. John is essentially the embodiment of the American dream, and he's a true, for lack of a better term, rags to riches story. He dropped out of college before graduating. He had stints as a professional wrestler, a bouncer at a bar, and a sales intern for the company that he would later purchase from the previous owners. So his company currently has 28 employees and works with hundreds of businesses in the mid-Atlantic region. But a lot has changed since February of 2021. So Let's just do a quick recap of exactly what your company does and the type of clients you work with, and then we'll get into all the things that have changed over the course of the last year and a half. Sure. Yeah. So we have a, uh, we are an insurance broker. We do, you know, your traditional insurance brokerage. We effectively are the middleman working with uh, about 20 different regional and national insurance carriers uh, and placing insurance coverage for businesses, individuals. Uh, We also do group health insurance to the benefits for all of your employees. Uh, in addition to that, we have a safety consulting practice and a human resources uh, consulting practice. So uh, we like to say that while most brokers rely on their insurance carrier partners to provide most services, we've tried to bring every service in-house so our clients are more attached to us and rely on us, not the insurance carriers. Okay, great. That That's helpful background. So obviously, when we talked before, there was a lot going on in the background that we couldn't actually talk about. So. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about what's changed since the last time we spoke and how that's all shaken out. Sure. Yep. So uh, the better part of the first half of 2021 was spent uh, a lot of soul searching, negotiating, due diligence processing. And uh, we, uh, our agency was acquired by Assured Partners on June 1st of 2021. So uh, a week away from our one year anniversary. So uh, I still remain the agency president, so I'm still in charge of things from a day-to-day basis. Um, so our firm is still doing the same type of work, but instead of being a 28-person group with one office in Newark, Delaware, doing just under $8 million in revenue, we're now 
you know, a national, we, we actually have some offices uh, outside of the United States as well, but about 9,000 employees. We just surpassed 2 billion in revenue uh, collectively. So a lot, a lot has changed from that standpoint. That, that's interesting. So you weren't actually looking to sell the business, right? So how does this even happen? No. So, you know, I, I bought the business. I closed on it on leap day. So February 29th of 2016. Um, I always say I, I operated the company like I would sell it at any point. Just, uh, you know, if, if uh, again, you brought up my wrestling background, uh, as the million dollar man used to say, everybody has a price. And if that number <laughs> ever came, I would sell the, the company. You know, I, I never, I didn't own the company because of an ego situation. I wasn't, I never worried about having my name as part of the name of the business. I didn't want to see Boykin Insurance Group or anything along those lines. I, I never, I certainly wasn't going to uh, give the business to my children, um, mm-hmm. nor would I even sell it to them at a discount. Right. Uh, and I certainly wasn't going to hold the note to finance it for them. So, you know, long term, that wasn't going to be part of the play. I believe that we had grown to the point where internal perpetuation wasn't going to be possible, that at some point it would be an external um, succession. And, you know, over the years, uh, in, in the five years I owned the business, I got calls from, um, you know, different M&A companies. Within our industry, there has been a lot of M&A activity, both on the insurance carrier side and on the broker side. Um, so I would get calls from time to time. And I would say, maybe three years prior to closing the deal with the short partners, I got a call from, from their M&A guy in the, in the area. And for whatever reason, and normally I screen those calls, I hang, I hang up, but I was driving, I picked up the phone and just had a conversation with the guy. So we kind of went, went round and round for a few years, just tossing out rough numbers. Um, but it would ultimately always come down to the, the numbers weren't there. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, um, I, I never would say I didn't care what I was selling the business for. I was I cared about what was going to go into my bank account sure. after I paid off. You know, I, I we were very early on into having acquired the company, so obviously there there was debt associated with the original purchase, um, and then um, you know taxes obviously come into play as well. So it just it, it never lined up right. And uh, going into the winter of 2020, I kind of finally said, you know what. We're, we're going we're gonna to scale this business up. We're not going to sell. We're going to really operate. We're going to invest back in. Uh, we opened up a second office in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You know, we were really going to go that path and look at selling, you know, maybe five to seven years down the road. Right. Well, in, in January of 21, I got my, I would say, pretty much annual phone call from, from a short partners. And Tim's the guy's name. Tim calls me. I was just getting ready to go through the car wash. And uh, we, we had the normal conversation of, well, you know, how are things going? Would you be open to selling? And my response was always the same. Well, if, if you're willing to pay me what I would want, I would be willing to sell, you know, if everything else lined up. But until the price got there, nothing else really mattered. Yeah. Uh, um, so he said, well, well what, what's your revenue? What's your EBITDA looking like? And I, I gave him rough numbers. You know, we, we hadn't really closed out 2020 yet, but I gave him kind of where we were projecting. And he, you know, gave me, he spit out a rough number to me. And I said, well, you know, if that's a real number, I would consider it. Mm-hmm. So from there, you know, so, you know, signed an NDA, gave them some more in-depth financial projections and information. Um, they shot back and more calculated kind of estimate of where a number would be. And it was, again, it was a number that I, I couldn't not explore in more depth. So, 
Um, in, in early February, early February, we signed a letter of intent, which simply basically made it an exclusive negotiations. So I never talked to another, you know, while I had talked to other potential suitors in the past, as part of last year's transaction, I never talked to anybody else. I just talked to assured partners. I didn't have any representation to take us out to market. Um, so I really handled everything. More, if you will. Yeah, I, I just kind of handled everything. It's like, you know, I put, put uh, for sale by owner sign basically right. on the list and just <laughs> talked to them. And, you know, it was a lengthy, crazy process, but, you know, we ended it up down to the wire, but closed the transaction June 1st. That's fantastic. So the number that you had in your mind, where did you come up with that number? Was it just an arbitrary number or did you come up with it in any particular way? It's probably arbitrary. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think there, there, there was a number I had in mind. There was a net number I had in mind. Yeah. Based on, you know, my lifestyle, how long I think I'll live, um, you know, really projecting conservatively, okay, if I never work again, if I projected, I, th- I think I used like a six or 7% rate of return from an investment standpoint, which I know you guys are going to get me much more. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> not guaranteed, that, of course. Of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> put, your, put your fine print on there yeah. for, <laughs> for, regula- for regulation. But no, looking at it as, okay, if I never had another penny of income myself, will what I have in my bank account allow me to continue earning what I earn now and live the lifestyle that I want? Because yeah. at that point, I was 39 years old. I said, I've never had a budget in my life. I wasn't going to sell my business. And then all of a sudden have a budget. Sure. Um, so you have a um, fixed income, if you will, after that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the idea was, okay, well, if I need to net this and I paid, you know, then from there it's, well, I have to pay off the loan. I have to pay off. Uh, I have to pay off the government for whatever reason. Nobody's been able to explain to me why I have to give them any money, but <laughs> I do. Um, and uh, so that's really where I backed into it. That's great. So if you could kind of point to one reason, you know, they, the, the guy catches you on the phone right before you get in the car wash, there had to be besides the money. Is, is there a single reason that you can point to, to say like, okay, this is the reason if you really boil it all down, why I, I, I sold? Yeah. So I think while I was, while I was willing to entertain it at that point, you know, timing's everything in life. Right. And yeah. I was at that time in January, uh, looking at buying a new house, um, okay. it was a house that had, you know, more land. And my son, who's, who's nine, just has never wanted to move. Right. Um, he was always very reluctant to it, to the idea of moving. So with me trying to kind of, you know, as the sales guy, I'm trying to sell him. That's the polite way of saying manipulate him into liking <laughs> the idea of moving. So I was trying to explain that with, you know, with having more land, I was selling him on the idea that we could build him a track for his four wheeler to drive on. Um, thinking like, all right, he's nine years old. That's a, that's an easy sell. Right. And he said something to me and he said, you know, dad, that would, that would be really cool. You know, we could do that together. You're always so busy with work and I'm always so busy with school. It would be nice to have that time together. Yeah. And it was this, oh shit moment of, you know, he, he realizes how often I work. He realizes that when I'm home from work, as we all are, I'm on this thing. I'm I'm getting emails. I'm I'm constantly distracted. So it was just really eye-opening to me um, to kind of hear my nine-year-old say that to me um, about how much I work. So it was just something that, okay, I really 
if, if what's most important to me is being a dad, um, if I had the ability to kind of take some, take some of the chips off the table, slow down a little bit, not that I have, but the ability to do that and, and focus more on being a dad, I'd be a fool not to at least explore this and, and, and take that route. Yeah, for sure. Like, that gives you the opportunity to be way more present, which is a, you know, I, I've seen you work before on the golf course or, you know, on vacation and you don't stop. So it's not, your business doesn't stop. And it's not like you, you, you'll you say to your clients, Hey, I'll just give you a call back when I'm back or tomorrow. You want to be able to serve them and, and answer that, answer their, their calls right away. So that's really important. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, I mean, they say how you do anything is how you do everything. And that's just kind of how I've always been wired. I'm an extreme intense person. And that's just how I've always operated with work. It's very driven. Um, you know, I've always told my clients when I'm, tr- when I'm attempting to bring them on as a client, when they say, well, well what's, what's a differentiator? And I would say, you get me. I'm yeah. available 24-7. I, I'm up at four o'clock in the morning. I usually don't go to bed before, you know, historically it was 11, 12. Now it's getting older. So I'm usually in bed by 10 or 10 30, but <laughs> I'm pretty much available all the time. I have my iPad, my laptop, my cell phone with me at all times for the most part. Um, so it is a, you know, I would say I'm on call. Um, but I took a great deal of, of pride that when my clients emailed me or called me, they could always get in touch with me. Uh, if I'm on vacation, that just means I'm working from a beach or somewhere very nice, right. I'm still working. So, um, it was just, um, yeah, him saying that to me just kind of said, okay, maybe I need to reevaluate this. And I and also had the, kind of the realization, as I know you've had, because your kids are a little bit older than me, or older than mine, that, uh, you know, you, when they're really young, you think, well, I have them until they're 18 years old. Right. And then you start to realize that, you know, you really, at least I think, you kind of you cease to be the primary influencer when they're about 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they're more worried about their friends and Friday nights go from, well, let's sit on the couch and watch a movie together to, well, I'm going to drop you off at your friend's house and I'll pick you up Saturday morning. So, so true. I started to have that realization that I didn't have as much time with them yeah. as I thought left over. It was really, you know, with, with a seven and a nine year old, they'll be eight and 10 this year. I have, you know, two, maybe three years left of my son still looking at me as his best bud. And if he has, a chance to do anything, it's going to be to hang out with me. That's going to go away in a couple of years. Very true. Yep. Very true. I, I, you know, having a 14 year old headed to high school next year, yeah, I, we realize like, Hey, we only have four more years until she likely moves out of the house for, for college and whatnot. So it, you're, you couldn't be more right about that. Um, so you, you become financially independent. You hit your quote unquote number that you, that you wanted and you become financially independent for the most part at age 39. How's that feel? It was, um, it was pretty surreal. I, uh, you know, we, we, again, this was still COVID times when we were going through the closing and uh, we closed on the deal. It was effective Tuesday, June 1st. And that, that weekend prior was Memorial Day weekend. So I was down at the beach with, with my family and friends. And uh, we were, you know, not really negotiating up until Saturday, but just kind of getting the last couple of documents signed, things like that. So as of Saturday, we have everything wrapped up, right? Everything's wrapped up and it's an electronic escrow is what they call it, which means we have all the documents, they have all the documents. But on Tuesday, we'll send an email that's saying it's, it's official. Um, so we did that Tuesday morning and the last thing needed for it to be official was that wire to hit my bank account. Right. 
So as you can imagine, I'm <laughs> every two minutes trying to see if it fitted. And I had a, I went to lunch that day at uh, at your first guest, I believe Carl was your first guest, right? That's right. Carl yes. Region. So we went to Red Fire for lunch that day. And at that point, the, the Wi-Fi wasn't working very well and you can't get any cell phone reception in that building. So yeah. I'm like stressing out through lunch. The wire still hasn't hit. I can't get any damn service. So I get out of lunch, I drive up the road and I log in and the wire is hit. The money's there. And I'm like, wow, back to work I go. And I drove back yeah. to work and I work and I, I say it's, it's probably the most underwhelming experience of my life. Um, you know, cool to see it. Sure. Uh, I think I text you that day. I, I went on, I, I searched highest net worth of professional wrestlers and saw where I now ranked in the list, <laughs> which was pretty cool. Um, but outside of that, it was, you know, I went back to work and I haven't stopped. You know, it's, it's yeah. still what I love to do. I love dealing with my clients. I, I love what we do. I, I definitely would say that I've have a more of a more of an appreciation for the time with my family and things along. The, I, I protect that a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, but it's uh it was an underwhelming experience. It, it, it's, it's, you know, sometimes you think about it and it, it's pretty incredible to say, and I've, I've never been really good at looking backwards. Right. Everything's always forwards and, and having this transaction happen has made me at least for a little bit, take a second pause and look at the 16 year journey from part-time sales guy making eight bucks an hour, being allowed to work six hours a week to where I am now. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, it's been pretty cool, but that, that moment was, I would say, very underwhelming, actually. It, that's, I think that's fascinating to hear. And, and a lot of the time, when you talk to a business owner or an entrepreneur who has sold their business, it's sort of like a part of them dies. Yeah. And did you feel that way where a part of you and your like identity was not, maybe not gone, but different? You know, I haven't looked at it that way. Um, you know, when I look at my professional identity, it was never as the business owner, right? Yeah. It was, I became the owner of the business really through my desire to control my destiny and my day-to-day, -day, you know, my financial, but it was never about being the owner of the business. So yes. when somebody would say, what do you do for a living? I never said I'm a business owner, right? It was always the insurance advisor side of it. That's the part that I really enjoy doing. Yeah. Um, I enjoy winning, right? So I always said I never was chasing money. I chased winning. Mm -hmm. I knew how we kept score was through the financial side of it. But I knew that if I won and won and won and won, money came along with it. So I, I wouldn't say that I've, I've lost my identity. If anything, I would say it's probably been better defined what my identity is. I think I've, I, I've, I've realized the parts of the business you know, I, I always said that I loved prior to the close of the business, close of, of selling the business, I, I loved about 90% of my day to day. I mm -hmm. loved it, loved it. And then there's 10% that I hated, but it was the necessary evil to get the 90% that I loved. Right. Post-close, I looked at it and say, why the hell would I do anything that I hate moving forward? Yeah, right. For sure. I don't need to. Yeah. I don't need to do it anymore. So I think it's, it's really allowed me to focus on, you know, and it's not overnight, uh, but it's focusing on the 90% that I love and just doing that. And if giving up that 10% of what I hate means I only get to do 85% of what I love, I'll take that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I've, 
I, I, I'm, I'm no longer, I don't want to allow stress into my life that's not needed. Yep. So, so it, you, what, what exactly would make up that 10% that you hate? Um, you know, as you know, and I don't, I don't want to say I hate it, but managing, um, managing the employee side of it, trying to hire people, it's, yeah. it's very, very difficult right now. You know, we, we have aggressive growth goals and trying to hire people is incredibly difficult. Yeah. Uh, you know, our culture, trying to maintain the culture day in and day out is very difficult. Sure. Um, you know, when, when it's your baby, when it's your company, you need to be there. Yeah. Um, so being in the office all the time, again, one of the luxuries that came out of COVID was Zoom, what we're doing right now. And, and, and we, we can do this podcast from two separate locations. And sure. it's allowed me to realize that, again, the part of my job that I love, which is dealing with the clients, being there for the clients, structuring their insurance programs, negotiating on their behalf, I can do that from anywhere. Yeah. I can't be, at least the way I believe you lead, which is by example, I can't do that for the company from outside of the four walls of this office, but I don't want to be here all the time anymore. Yeah. Um, it's so it's, you know, it's, it's, if you're going to do it, at least from my standpoint, you have to be all in, but I can't be all in anymore as far as leading the day-to-day, the business side of it, right? Yeah. Um, the client side of it, that's the part I really love. Right. The business side of it, the um, as much as I love the strategy, as much as I want to say, I want to, I want to mentor the next great salesperson. Yeah. I really do. Mm-hmm. But if that means being on a meeting with them at 11 a.m. on a Friday, or this coming Friday being at my son's field day, right. I'm going to be at my son's field day. Sure. Yeah. So it's you know trying to trying to not make commitments that I'm really not willing to Passionate. stick to. Yeah, it's sort of yeah. like it's either a, a, I've heard it, someone describe it before, it's either a hell yes or it's a no. And yeah. sort of like if you're not 100% enthusiastic about it, it should be a no. If you're like, meh, you know, um, so that that's an interesting way to put it. Yeah, and one of the, one of the things that was very attractive to me with, with the short partners and, and part of, you know, one of the reasons I, I saw a positive in selling the business was, it created more opportunity for the people within my organization to step up and do more. Yeah. You know, with 26, 28 people, there's only so many layers of management. There's only so much room to grow within an organization. Well, now there's so much room to grow. So me, me kind of taking this step out of the day-to-day internal operations or, uh, you know, again, we had to, in, in our business, I'm dealing with clients. I'm dealing with employees. I'm also dealing with our insurance carrier partners. Mm-hmm. So I've looked at this as an opportunity to kind of step away from the insurance carrier relations, step away from the primary relations from 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 an employer employee standpoint, and allow other people within our organization to kind of uh, raise up and do those roles, which is creating additional career opportunities for them. That's great. That's fantastic. You brought up something earlier. I want to go back to you talked about culture a little bit. Now, one of the things I've noticed about working in different environments is that some people inherently fear change, right? And that can have an impact on your culture. Um, how did the sale affect the culture at your at, in, within your four walls? So, you know, I, I'd be lying to say that there was no impact to the culture. 
right? Yeah. We were, we are going from, I mean, you've, you've been to our work at parties, right? Yeah. You know, we had a very, we were a, a family, right? Yes. Which with family, there comes dysfunction, there comes arguments. Um, you know, during COVID, we would have mimosa days when everybody's sitting around like, all right, well, let's go have mimosas. Let's, there were things that we could do as a 26 person group that you, you, you can't do, right. as, you can't do it anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not, at least it's not something that we want to try and, and push, you know, we, we, you know, we're very fortunate, you know, short partners has been great, you know, from a culture standpoint, there hasn't been anything to negatively impact our culture. It hasn't changed our culture. I would just say our culture has evolved into, um, you know, going from, you know, I don't want to say it was it was animal house culture, but it was, right. you know, we, we had that type of work hard, play hard mentality where yeah. there were a lot of lines blurred between, okay, if work ends at 4.30 and then happy hour starts at five, you know, before this, it was, well, happy hour might start at four. And, you know, it just, it was just how we were. It, sure. We, you know, it's how I am, right? Yeah. I believe, you know, you have to celebrate success. You have to celebrate win or what the hell is the point of the hard work? So that, that was part of the transition. You know, we haven't had the people that, you know, assured partners, their whole model is acquire agencies that are very successful and don't blow up what they do, right? Why, why pay top dollar for something that I'm going to change? Great so, point. you know, we still run the show operationally from a day-to-day standpoint. There's the same employees that were here before are here now. It's not like they have a compliance person that comes down and, and posts up in our office. So we're free to do what we, we, we want to do. Um, it's really just, you know, making sure that what we're doing um, doesn't really blur the line any longer of what's personal versus what's professional. Yeah. You know, hiring, hiring in, you know, new diverse candidates, you know, growing the organization. You know, the idea will be to continue to expand Delaware operations and really across the board. So there could be a scenario down the road where, you know, we may acquire another Delaware agency and then their culture and our culture is now blended. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to prevent there from being that, you know, oil and water type of, you know, combination yes. is to make it that we're very streamlined. And um, like, like any organization, there's people within our company that have close friendships outside of work. And we want to continue to encourage that. But we'll just, we'll do that after work. Yep. That make that makes a ton of sense. Uh, I want to go back to sort of the process of the sale. So uh, from other owners that I've talked to, you know, uh, and any, even interviewed on the podcast, they've talked about how the whole sales cycle for selling your business can be an insane emotional roller coaster. Yeah. Talk a little bit about, you know, the highs and the lows and what you were feeling as the due diligence process is going on for, for several months. Um, so from a high standpoint, I would say the only one was when that wire hit my bank account. <laughs> uh, the only, I guess, you know, the only other thing I could think of, which made me feel good. Um, you know, you, you hear it if you ever watch Shark Tank, right? Yeah. The thing you have to know when you go on Shark Tank is know your numbers. You have to and know your numbers. If you don't know your numbers, you're, you're not get getting an investment. Crushed. Yep, for sure. So it made me feel very good during the process. And again, I said earlier that I'm, I'm pretty intense. I'm, pretty much I'm a psychopath when it comes to details. I love Excel spreadsheets. So that's how I, again, I've always run the business that way. 
So going through this due diligence process, which, you know, talk about, you know, using a fine tooth comb when, when you're being asked to, you know, provide the backup to prove a $17 invoice was accurate. That's the level of detail we were in. Um, And the fact that every bit of information they could ask for, we could easily provide a report to show that information um, to the point where they were thinking, Oh, wow, we didn't expect you to, you know, actually said, we didn't expect you to get us this information back this quickly. Mm-hmm. So it made me feel good that myself, the way I ran the company and the team around us that could produce this information, that we had done something right. right. And I do absolutely think that it helped with our valuation. The fact that the numbers that we provided them, that they didn't have to question because they knew we had all the backup and it was readily available and we could provide it. So that yeah. would say that yeah. was a high. Yeah. The lows was just the, uh, again, I, I mentioned earlier that you know, we didn't hire another firm to take us to market. We didn't hire anybody else to do all of this information. And, and we were bound by an NDA. So it wasn't like I could just openly share this information with all the employees and say, you know, so a lot of this due diligence um, kind of fell back on my shoulders. Yeah. But it, it fell back on my shoulders at a time, which is, happens to be my busiest time of the year as well. So we're wrapping up year end. Most of my largest clients come up for renewal in the first and second quarter. Um, so I'm trying to manage all of that, but then have this, you know, momentous project behind me, uh, which would end up ultimately being the biggest decision I will ever make in my life professionally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no pressure. So you're, you're trying to do all of that. And, and the really crazy part about this is, you know, we, we were, you know, still negotiating numbers. So you're, you're going in this with this kind of good faith that we're going to come to terms on a final sale price that gets us to the finish line. Yeah. But we didn't have that number until we were pretty damn close to the finish line. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it was, um, you know, I, I've said many times and I genuinely mean it, had this deal fallen through, I wouldn't be selling this business in the next 10 years. Yeah. I would never go through the due diligence process. It's just, you know, and I've told, obviously I've had clients that have sold their businesses before me and after me. Um, and they all say the same thing. It's, it is, it is a, because you have to get yourself emotionally ready to make the decision. Right. So once you, once you come to terms with, okay, I'm going to do this Yeah. now, it's kind of like if you're working on a big, you know, a big deal. Yep. You've, you know, once you're getting close to the finish line, you're already spending the commission, <laughs> right? You're like, that's like 80% uh, chance happening. So, uh, you know, I'm going to finish the basement or, you know, yeah. what? I, you know, <laughs> my kids really want this or we're going to, we're going to book that vacation. So as you're getting closer and you're starting to say, you know, going into it, it was, it was more the pessimistic side of me saying, okay, this probably isn't going to happen. Don't get your hopes up. The rug's going to get pulled out. They're going to try to change this number. And then as you're getting further and further into it and you're saying, okay, none of that has happened yet. And I'm starting to really like the idea. You're learning more. You're talking to other agencies that they've acquired and how great it is and how it's a cultural fit. And you start to think, oh, I, I really want this to get done now. I sure. want this to happen. I really want it to move forward. And it's, uh, it's nerve wracking, but, you know, it did happened. You, did you ever get to a point where you said, screw it, I'm not doing this? No. That's good. I, ne- I never, I never got to that point. Um, 
you know, even when you're negotiating the sale price and you're and things like that. And um, I, I wouldn't say it never was heated. It was always for the most part, you know, you know how I am. I, I mean, I, I like to have fun. It was most of the stuff was, you know, I was taking it with my typical self-deprecating sense of humor. Sure. Um, yeah, there were a couple situations where you're you're negotiating and you're negotiating large dollars and you have to sit there and say, this is what it is. Yep. There's so I wouldn't say that there was any take it or leave it moments. Um, but there were definitely situations where, you know, I've dug in, you've dug in. We may have to take a day or two and, and come back and see if there's somewhere where we can meet, but it's not going to be in the middle. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, you know, and, and, and I, I had to operate with that mindset of I will never get the opportunity to sell my business again. There's not a do over. It's a good point. Right? And I, I knew the value we brought to the table. I knew what our numbers were. I knew what our numbers are going to be and did not sell ourselves short. Yeah, um, because we were at that point where it was OK. Well, you know, if I if, if I if I stop now, I'm pretty close to my number, but I'm not at my number. Right. And it was, it was, no, I'm not, I said it going into that. This is my number. If it's not above that number, we're not talking. Kudos to you for that. Cause I think sometimes people get beaten down by the process and they're like, you know what? I just want this to be done with. I'll take X amount of dollars less just to be done and have that wire hit my account. And, but What's that's the, a great way to think about it. You only get to do it one time. You better do it. It's right. like, who wants to be a millionaire, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. You, you get to that like $500,000 case, you get it right. You get the answer, right? Yeah. And it's like, all right, well, I could walk away now. I have a half a million dollars or I can answer one more question and get a million bucks. Yeah. And it's, you know, and I didn't look at myself gambling that much because I knew if the deal fell through, I was running an incredibly successful business. Yeah. We were growing. I was having fun every single day. There was really no downside. Yeah. I was going to say the quote unquote. Yeah. The the quote. I just wasn't going to be willing to go through the damn process again. Right. Yeah. If it fell through. Yeah, the, the quote unquote worst case scenario wasn't that bad. In fact, correct, pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I looked at it. It was a, it was really for me. It was a win win. Yep, definitely. Um, if you could give advice to other people contemplating this process, other owners contemplating selling, what is there one piece of advice you would give to them? Know your worth. Mm, that's good. You know. Yeah. You know, you you don't want to sell your house in a in a, in a downturning economy when you're about to go through a divorce, right? Right. You have to sell it. Yes. So to me, my advice would be to know your worth and have an exit strategy to understand just like you're, just like you, well, you should plan, you know, we would do one year planning, three year planning, five year bit planning, and then beyond from right. a business point. Um, know what you want to do next year, the next three years, the next five years, the next, you know, however many years after that. And I think, being realistic with yourself and your business, understand, you know, I saw a lot of risk in our business, right? Sure. I see, I see FinTech is investing heavily to take, you know, if you take the broker out of the transaction, you take a lot of the expense out of the transaction. Sure. Yeah. If, you know, I, I keep saying if Amazon decides to sell homeowners and auto insurance, there goes a portion of our business, mm-hmm. right? You have the government, Wanting at least some in the government wanting a single payer healthcare system. Yeah. Well, single care, uh, single payer healthcare system comes into play. There goes our employee benefits operation. Such so, a good point. Yeah. 
you know, and, and I think if you if you're too arrogant and realize that there's no risk to your business, you become blockbuster. Right. So mm-hmm. understanding where you are in the cycle within your individual business, but also within the, the just the cycle of your industry that you're in. Yeah. And what are the you know, do a SWOT analysis for your business as well as your industry and understand where you are within that cycle and then understand where your exit is within that cycle. Um, and make sure you're gearing up and being ready. And then again, uh, like I said, you know, use the million dollar man mindset of, you know, everybody has their price, understand what that number is, understand what you need, because if somebody offers it to you, you you can't always sit on it that long. You have to really be ready to rock and roll. And again, if you miss it, what was it? Blockbuster had a chance to buy Netflix Netflix. for $50 million and they didn't want to. How's that going? You know, it's it's kind of interesting to you have to be equally prepared to say no as you do to say yes to the right thing. So that's that's interesting. It, it, it's it's knowing the you know it's almost like you're, you're, if you're going to be given a multiple choice question, knowing the options ahead of time. Right. Yeah. Right. And and to know what the scenario is, because um, it makes it because it is a it's an emotional process. You know, yeah. it is something that it you know. I kept towards the end when I was back, I kept saying, if I don't do this, I'm a bad dad. Right. That's what I kept, yeah. I started saying that to myself. Yeah. If I say no, it's not bad for, it's not bad for any of my clients. Yeah. It's not bad for any of my employees. Yep. You know, I think, and I think it's good for a lot of clients. I think it's good for a lot of the employees, but at a bare minimum, nobody suffers in this process. Nobody yeah. loses, nobody loses. And then, you know, once I got to that phase, I could look at it very selfishly and say, okay, this is really, really good for me. This is really, really good for my family. Yeah. Great. So, it's, you know, it's, if nobody loses and, you know, of course, in any deals, there, there are bigger winners than others, but, you know, nobody lost. You know, everybody in our company got a bonus from, from the transaction. Um, we made sure that nobody lost in the deal. So anybody that, um, Who's, there were a couple of people who like their health insurance went up. We bonus them that difference. So, so nobody, no employee lost in the transaction. That's awesome. I, I love it. All right. Rapid fire. Three final questions. All right. Number one, how did it feel to write that check to the IRS for the taxes that you owed? <laughs> well, what is the show rated? <laughs> we, have, we don't have an explicit, so... <laughs> It, it, it was, uh, it's very painful. It was very, um, not that I liked tax season anyway. I mean, it's sure. always, you know, I always said when you go to the store and you buy something, you get a receipt and you at least know where your money's going. Um, it's very, 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 very painful. And, and I think moving forward when people, when I hear people say something about paying your fair share, yeah, I, I I took pictures of the checks. Right. So, so moving forward, I, uh, I paid more in taxes than I earned my entire life up until that point. Amazing. So amazing way to put it, you know, it's, um, and you can look at that and say, okay, well, I'm fortunate to be able to write those. Of course. Yeah. And there's, there's, there's truth to that. Um, I don't complain about it. You certainly don't hear me complaining to other people about it. Sure. Uh, but could I think of a lot more fun cool with that money? <laughs> yeah. Yes. All right. That, that's a good way to put it. Second question. Have you calculated the return on investment from the time you purchased the company 
in 2016 to the time you sold it in 2021. And not that you have to share that number. And have you ever made a better investment than that one? No. I mean, it was more than 4X. Okay. That's great. About 4X in five years. That's awesome. Yeah. And the most important question. I know we talked a lot about this, but when we comes down to it, this is a show that includes booze in it. So settle the debate once and for all. Don Julio, 1942, or Classe Azul. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see over John's left shoulder that he has both bottles on his shelf in his office. So what say you, Mr. Boykin? Pictures of my kids, replica of Prince's guitars and tequila. (laughs) So what say you once and for all? Hands down, Classe Azul. Okay, that's great. All right. Well, this is awesome. I, I think this was a really, I'm, I'm really glad we were able to get you back on to talk about this because I think this process is so, there's so, it's so unique to each business, but yet there's so many similarities when some, when a business owner goes through, through a sale. So I think this was super helpful and such a great, such a great yeah. conversation. It's interesting, you know, having talked to several of my clients and friends that have sold their business, completely different industries. You're right. I mean, it, running a business is no different than a sell, selling a business. You yeah. have, you know, it doesn't matter industry. You have the same issues, pitfalls, concerns. So it's, uh, you know, it's definitely, it, it's, it's very similar and it's a crazy time. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for, for coming on. So let me, let me write this for you. Having me. So other half, double mosaic daydream. I actually really like this. Uh, I'll give this a four out of five on the untapped app. So if people want to find more, learn more about you, and your company, where do they go? So they can go to assuredpartners.com, all words, so A-S-S-U-R-E-D-P-A-R-T-N-E-R-S.com. Um, pretty good for drinking tequila on an empty stomach. Uh, <laughs> or they can, so our, our website again is still, still up there, uh, bhi365.com. Awesome. If you want to connect with me on the untapped app, my username is brcarney 7 To learn more about how our firm helps business owners with their financial planning, visit riversedgeadvisors.com. And to hear past episodes of the podcast, including episode number three, featuring John Boykin, episode one, go to happy-half-hour.com. John, thanks so much for your time and cheers to you. Thanks, Brian. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur, sponsored by Rivers Edge Advisors. For more information on how Rivers Edge Advisors can help you, visit their website at riversedgeadvisors.com. If you'd like to connect with Brian Carney for business advice or just to share a beer, follow him on Instagram at riversedgeadvisors underscore LLC. 